You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. When was the last battle on U.S. soil? Ooh, I, come on! This one, this one, you have to get. <laughs> I remember this because it's my mom's birthday, and it's Pearl Harbor. Ah, my mom's birthday is on Pearl Harbor Day. That is right. Yeah, that was in December seventh, nineteen forty-one, and the two battles before that, the closest one was in eighteen ninety. It was called the Battle of the Wounded Knee, and it was between the U.S. cavalry and the tribal Sioux Indians, which was the first. Americans in America. And then the one before that was obviously the Civil War, which is 1861 to 1865. So there's a reason why they're so far and few between, right? I mean, I think the U.S. has a strategy to try to keep those things off the U.S. soil. I mean, that's 80 years ago when last that happened. But there's regions in the world that is not so fortunate. You know, as you know, when we expanded our company, in the Middle East, I spent a lot of time in Dubai and in Beirut. And weekends, we'd go to Oman, which is just south of Dubai. Yeah. And if you go a little bit further south, you enter Yemen. <laughs> and Yemen is war-torn, right? And I'll never forget, we'd be sitting by the pool, and there were these colorful live parrots flying around, like pigeons in the U.S. And you'd sit by the pool, and these fighter jets would just fly over your head on the way to Oman from Saudi Arabia. And I often just think like, man, where are they going? What are they going to do? And we know the answer to that, but it's just very, very real. And it's not really something that we're very exposed to out here. We are, but at a distance, right. which makes us very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're going to be talking about the Middle East today, but before we do, I read yesterday that you guys are getting locked up again. You got a stay-at-home order or something happening in California? Yeah, it should be in the next couple of days when we'll be experiencing it in Orange County because we haven't quite hit that threshold of 85% of ICU beds being taken up, but we're almost there. What's the number? How close are you? I'm not sure, but last I heard, we were just like one or two percentage points below that mark. And so the expectation is in the next couple of days, we'll be back to a, a full lockdown. Yes. Everything closed, stay at home order. Yeah. And this is just after Thanksgiving and so many people traveled, right? So I think the aftermath of the Thanksgiving traveling is still coming because it's usually a little bit delayed. Yep. And then that's just going to hit us when Christmas comes around or the holidays comes around. Yeah, exactly. That should be what's pushing us over the edge numbers wise. Yeah. Crazy, man. Well... Let's jump in. Let's chat about today's episode. It's a cool story. The phrase American dream probably brings a lot of different images to mind for different people, which makes sense considering a lot of these images nowadays are created within the intention of provoking a sense of the American dream, right? And if you take Bruce Webster, for example, he's an independent branding consultant who has done work for Coca-Cola in the past. When it comes to Coca-Cola, he says... It has always been about American dreams, and Coca-Cola embodies the American dream so much so that according to Webster, during the Cold War, Coca-Cola became a symbol of capitalism and a fault line between capitalism and then communism. Hmm. 
Tom Stanich is an author of a book called An American History of the World in Six Glasses. He explains that Coca-Cola wasn't marketed in the former Soviet Union due to the fear that profits would go straight to the communist government, right? And Stanich also said, quote, Coca-Cola is the nearest thing to capitalism in a bottle, which I think is a great quote. Mm. So how does something so American then translate internationally? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I think for one thing, Coca-Cola, they just do such an effective job of evoking the American dream. When the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, a lot of East Germans bought Coca-Cola by the crate load because now they have access to it, right? And they just kind of feel this new sense of freedom. And so drinking Coke really just became this symbol of freedom. So in episode three on our podcast, we talk a lot about how deeply entrenched Coca-Cola is in the psyche and the emotional development of Americans. And that emotional appeal of Coca-Cola goes back much farther than the late 20th century. It really has been understood as something so intrinsically American that during World War II, American troops that were overseas fighting in the war were provided with Coca-Cola you know, that was like one of their supplies. So wherever those troops were, you could usually find locals who had befriended an American soldier and had developed a taste for Coca-Cola soon after. And because much of Coca-Cola's first international contact came as a part of this interaction with soldiers, the brand quickly became associated with American patriotism and America in general. And this was really before we had this large push into globalization before NAFTA, all of these different things that really globalized the economy. And so making Coca-Cola one of the first Western American brands to really localize in a lot of these regions, such as North Africa and Asia, was a big deal. And it led to a lot of additional opportunities for other brands to follow suit. And so after word of mouth really kind of like generated most of the buzz about Coca-Cola outside of the U.S., the company started taking an active role in promoting themselves internationally. And I think one of the most interesting stories about the early days of that is actually Fanta that we covered a few episodes ago. Yeah, in Nazi Germany, right? Yeah, exactly. And how they had to straddle that line between the American patriotic type of image and then dealing with all of the things that were happening in Nazi Germany and trying to still have a product that they could sell. Yeah. And that was in the Second World War, right? So today, in more recent times, there's a lot of regions in the world that don't love America, right? For whatever reason. And we should definitely not go into why, because I think we'll lose <laughs> half our listenership. But let me tell you a little bit about the Coke Studio, which is a really great example of what I'm talking about. Okay. In all regions, Coca-Cola strive to be about bringing people together. That's their thing. If you think of their marketing, even in the US, it's all about sharing Coke and so on. To Coca-Cola, simply bringing people together in local communities in the Arab world was insufficient, right? So Coca-Cola wanted to incentivize the Arab consumer that they should embrace both each other and those of the West. <laughs> That's a really difficult thing, especially with the geopolitical tension that exists between the two regions. Right. To some, 
that idea may walk the line of coming across a bit forceful. It's like basically taking a cat for a bath, right? It's a good thing, but the cat's not going to like it. Or it's like going to a party to find out that it's the intervention. Oh, That's like the two analogies <laughs> that I think of, of what they try to do here. Yeah. But Coca-Cola's marketing team wasn't just determined to accomplish the goal set out by the company. They were actually really creative about it as well. Mm. So in 2008, enter Coke Studio. It's a music television series that gained huge popularity. Originally piloted by Coca-Cola in Brazil and then subsequently in Pakistan, this effort in the Arab world alone has been credited with increasing sales of Coca-Cola to levels higher than before the Arab Spring. Mm. And just a little side note there, I spent time in Tunisia and in Egypt and people that were part of the Arab Spring hate that saying. Like people that are on the ground <laughs> level, they hate the word Arab Spring and us Westerners and Americans refer to it as that. And that's why I'm using that terminology. But people that were part of that are called the revolution and they really don't like the word Arab Spring. Just a little side note. Interesting. Well, that show actually brought international musicians together with Arab artists and musicians. And the international and Arab artists collaborate to create fusions of songs where they mesh unique genres of music that represent both parties. So it was marketed towards Arab youth with, in the words of Dana Bolden, the group communications director for Coca-Cola's Eurasia Africa group, that, quote, aimed to inspire through introducing them to different cultures, histories, and life journeys. So Coke Studio hoped to do this by exposing young consumers to the notion of new possibilities through the music produced by such collaborations. So not only does the show very beautifully combine certain aspects of different cultures, but it combines Coca-Cola's brand virtues, happiness, friendliness, and good times with the celebrity endorsement of not only the brand, but also its virtues. So Coke Studio really kind of serves as this encouragement to join hands with the rest of the world and, of course, to buy Coca-Cola. Hmm. Interesting. Crazy for good, right? If you think about it, another uplifting international marketing campaign ran by Coca-Cola was that, the Crazy for Good campaign. And the campaign encourages people to perform random acts of kindness, such as high fives. Oh man, just thinking of that in today's pandemic society, <laughs> high-fiving strangers is like so far off of of what we're doing right now. Things have changed. Yeah, things have changed. You know, <laughs> high-fiving strangers or paying somebody's coffee or planting trees around the city. It is not strictly local or necessarily international, but like Coke Studio, crazy for good was a pivotal point of Coca-Cola's emotional brand building in the Arab world. As morale was low after the revolution in Egypt, many Arab consumers found this campaign inspiring and it was a huge success for Coca-Cola. According to BBC News, 126 years after the birth, Coca-Cola is still pushing forward in terms of sales and in 2012 was experiencing exceptional growth in India, China and in Brazil. Yeah, so I think it's clear that winning a market is not only about truly understanding the consumers and what the driving forces are behind their purchase decisions, but really being relevant to what's going on in their lives at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And for Coca-Cola, the obvious reason that most people buy the product, of course, is the brand. 
But after campaigns like Coke Studio, Crazy for Good, the things that we just talked about, what is Coca-Cola's global brand and what really drives that relevance? Well, Webster claims that the company's brand might not strictly be the American dream anymore, but it's still American, or at the very least, it's kind of Western. Right. And he also points out that America itself as a brand is more tarnished now. People are more ambiguous towards it. There's been a lot that's happened mm. over the past 30 years and certainly over the past four years, four years <laughs> that have changed the perception of America for better or for worse, right? Like in some places for better and in some places for worse. Yeah, which is unfortunate because as Webster also said, quote, the whole strength of the brand is plugging in a way of life that so many people wanted. As an ideology, it polarizes and sometimes the association becomes unattractive, right? So Coca-Cola, the brand may be about happiness, friendliness, and all the other stuff that you just talked about in like good times, but the association with America and the West persists. And I think within the Arab regions, it's very difficult for them to detach from that. And not all countries have embraced Americanness that seemed to be embodied by Coca-Cola. The thing that gave them strength in the States is the thing that's hurting them in the Arab world. Right. And even within the States, there's a lot of people who are not super stoked about unbridled capitalism or what that represents. We actually covered in our Pabst episode about how hipsters and this kind of anti-commercialism, anti-consumerism yep. idea can actually be at times a very effective marketing tactic or tool in the tool belt. But Coke has really taken some very specific steps in the past to really drive that kind of capitalistic, consumeristic type of a mentality. So intended to be as pejorative as it sounds, the term coca colonization came about in the 1950s. It was created by the French while they were overturning Coca-Cola trucks and smashing Coca-Cola bottles. Mm. Protesters, according to Standage, saw the drink as a threat to French society. And the French weren't the last to publicly and physically denounce Coca-Cola half a century after Coca colonization became a phrase. In 2003, a wonderfully ironic protest, reminiscent of the US's own Boston Tea Party, protesters in Thailand poured Coke into the streets as a demonstration against the US led invasion of Iraq. Wow. So Coca Cola sales were then temporarily suspended in Thailand. Coke didn't invade Iraq, the US did. Yeah. <laughs> Right? It wasn't Coke. Right. But to the people of Thailand, the two were synonymous. That was enough. Yeah, exactly. So pouring out Coke allowed them to get their feelings out, get their message out. And this was not only just a, a local thing, but happened in other areas globally as well. For a brand that is massive and closely associated with the US, as it is, it sometimes finds itself tangled up in politics and trouble that it wasn't really looking for. And aside from France, Thailand, and the Soviet Union, the main regions that Coca-Cola has struggled to historically make it, so to speak, has been the Middle East for exactly the reason that we just discussed. It's brand strength that it's an iconic American brand is also one of the biggest challenges on a global scale as a global brand. Many global brands just are in the sense that they're not 
as highly associated with one particular point of origin or way of life, especially when you think about that from a political lens. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Levi's have the same issue in the Middle East <laughs> or Holly Davidson or, you know, like a true American brand. Right. And also, if you think of like the whole China rate wars that we were going on with, those were the brands that they were slapping tariffs on, right? Coca-Cola, Holly Davidson, Levi's, because they know that's an American brand. And what you just talked about is really reminiscent, I think, of the boycott implemented by the Arab League from 1968 to 1991, which was essentially a punishment for basically Coca-Cola being sold in Israel. Yeah. Here's another fun fact. If you travel in the Middle East and you have a stamp from Israel, an entry stamp in your passport, you cannot go to any other country in, in the Middle East. So you choose, you go to Israel or you go everywhere else. So there's ways around that. You can get some of the visas and everything, a piece of paper that's stapled into your passport that you can remove afterwards. And I know of people that has taken their visa and like holding it over a kettle. So the steam heats up the page, they can pull the Israeli visa off so they can enter another country. <laughs> but it's very polarized out there. Just the fact that they were selling the product in Israel they had nearly a 20-year ban yeah. you know, in the rest of the region. It's crazy. Yeah, that's, I think, why it was such a big headline this year when the normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia happened. And so a lot of these things are starting to lift a little bit. But both of these marketing campaigns, Coke Studio and Crazy for Good, were Coca-Cola's response to the question of how can one company change the way an entire region perceives a country? And the even more difficult question, especially as we go back in hindsight, is how one company can convince an entire region that they're with them and not against them, yeah. despite what political leaders have been telling them for decades, despite all of the tensions and the fighting and violence, despite the regional challenges Coca-Cola was faced with that were really just completely out of their control. They managed to win a certain level of the consumers in the Arab region by addressing some of these key issues. Mm -hmm. But clearly, I mean, massive challenges still remained after that, still remain today. Yeah, it's complicated. For example, this boycott you're talking about that was in, I think, in 1968 to 1991 in the Middle East, it created an inherent hostility towards the brand in the populations of the Middle Eastern countries, something which Coca-Cola have been battling Ever since which campaigns like Coke Studio and Crazy for Good were trying to basically undo. Furthermore, Coca-Cola association with the West, and particularly America, persisted. And when there is political tension between the Middle East and America, the Coca-Cola brand suffers, right? Because of this association. So regardless of the success of the two marketing campaigns in the Middle East, Coca-Cola still wasn't exactly everybody's favorite, especially especially in certain countries within the Middle East. Yeah. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about Coca-Cola specifically in one region, and that's Egypt. Why don't you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. So despite all of this, Coke still tries their best. For example, Egypt is Coca-Cola's largest market in the Arab world and serves as the headquarters for the North and West Africa business unit. And one of Coca-Cola's oldest operating sites opened in 1942 is also in Egypt. In spite of the fact that Egypt has witnessed some clear economic difficulties since the revolution of January 2011. For those who might not be familiar with it, the Egyptian revolution of 2011 consisted of 
Just a variety of demonstrations, marches, occupations of plazas, nonviolent civil resistance, and acts of civil disobedience and strikes. Millions of protesters from a range of socioeconomic and religious backgrounds demanded the overthrow of Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak. And they were successful. That's just the most amazing thing. There's a bunch of young people that just revolted against this, and they actually made some long-term changes in the country. It's incredible. I mean, it's got nothing to do with marketing, but I can talk about that all day long. I mean, it just that revolution was just so amazing, the way that they orchestrated it and organically just grew to where it, what happened. It's just absolutely incredible. So navigating a brand through all this, can you imagine you and I struggle trying to connect our brand with our consumers in the US when we're just battling with competition and not through civil unrest and wars around us. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of added layers of complexity that you need to think about in your customer (laughs) journey here, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and so, of course, it didn't happen without a cost. There were violent clashes between security forces and protesters that resulted in at least 846 people killed, over 6,000 injured. Protesters retaliated, and the revolution is also known as the 25th of January Revolution because the date was set by various youth groups to coincide with the annual Egyptian police holiday as a statement against increasing police brutality during the last few years of Mubarak's presidency. I once asked an Egyptian, how do they cope with the civil unrest and just the wars in the region? How do you just get out of bed every day and just go to work? And he told me that it's like ugly wallpaper. It's always there, but you just get used to it. And I think it's a really cool analogy of how people in the region just motivate themselves. They know it's there, but they just like get up. Yeah. You learn to live with that level of anxiety and stress, right? Yeah. It's kind of sad, but amazing. Unsurprisingly, the revolution sparked many difficulties, including a slump of the tourism industry, a major source of income for over 10% of the working population. So 10% of their work just got cut back. Coca-Cola had nine bottling plants in Egypt that directly employed 12,000 Egyptians. And the company claimed that for each direct employee, there are 10 additional jobs created within the community and a family sustained. According to Coca-Cola's fact sheet on the Arab world compiled in 2012, it provided livelihoods of 500,000 families in the region by directly employing 40,000 Arabs. This is a big deal. Even though they weren't completely spared by the difficulty within the region, Coca-Cola's operation in the country remained really strong. At the peak of the unrest of Egypt in January 2011, trucks could not move around the city and Coca-Cola shut down their offices and operations for several days, not long after the former Egyptian president, Mubarak, like you just said, resigned. And in February 12, 2011, Coca-Cola then again reopened their offices. Crazy, right? It is crazy. And the way that Coca-Cola operates on a global level is really brilliant. And it's also extremely decentralized. So when you talk about it's 40,000 employees support 500,000 jobs, it's because the way that Coca-Cola distributes in a lot of these countries is extremely informal and decentralized. So you sell cases of Coca-Cola to individuals who then hop on their scooter with a crate of Coke on the back, drive into kind of their local village or area and resell Coke. And that's how a lot of Coke gets distributed in some of these 
countries where they're either turned by war or there's poverty or those kinds of things. So having this level of disruption to the flow of society in general, I just completely ground it to a halt. That being said, the unrest in Egypt, as we play this out, actually led to a positive outcome and boost for Coca-Cola's business in the country. The situation served as a catalyst for activating a slew of new marketing campaigns. Bolden says they tapped into the, quote, psyche of our Egyptian consumers. We had a big opportunity here to create an emotional connection, Bolden added. So under leadership as opportunistic and optimistic as Bolden was, Coca-Cola was quick to bounce back after the unrest. Unfortunately, Coca-Cola's Egyptian headquarters was one of the few country-specific operations in the region to do so. But according to the publication Your Middle East, Coca-Cola in Tunisia was fully restored by 2013. And it wasn't until around the time Tunisia Coke operations were restored that Coca-Cola operations in Libya just barely started to function again. And while Libya had just started to get going, operations in Syria were still completely shut down until further notice. So is this really just rolling reboot of Coca-Cola within the region. And of course, the company is going to continue to do what they can to get through this. But the going, quote unquote, wasn't just tough for Coca-Cola in Egypt. There were many bad situations within the region. The going was the civil unrest and riots, the toppling of the government, assumptions of power by the military, and several other political factors that the brands, especially ones largely like we've you know, we started this episode about the American brands as Coca-Cola are under no obligation to acknowledge, right? And in the case of some regions and countries, the going was or is still today war. And Coca-Cola's brand may be about happiness or friendliness or all the other stuff that you talked about previously. It doesn't really matter what the intentions are they need to look at the environment. And sometimes the environment and the intentions don't gel and they just don't go together. Just because Coca-Cola wants to spread happiness and admiration and they've got this mission, it doesn't mean that they are not doing it within a war zone or in a country that's getting torn apart. Another way to think of it is like, if Coca-Cola were a person, you might say, hey, dude, read the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's right. like, it's literally, if you think about that, This is what I'm talking about. So this ad shows a, I think it's a judging on gentlemen's clothing, a Saudi Arabia couple in a desert and there's a car that's parked and then they get out of the car and they swap so his wife's going to be driving it and he like hands her the keys because as we know that only recently it's opened up that women are allowed to drive and she pulls away and then she hasn't driven before and she stalls the car and he like looks at her and he gives her the nod that it's okay and this goes on once or twice and then he opens a coke to like ease the tension 
And as an American, we would look at this and we would think, wow, that's a really well-executed spot. But people from the region hated this ad because it highlights the thing that the American Western culture, we don't like about their culture, but it's their culture, right? And we can't Americanize, we can't put this Western light on things that we don't like as Americans. And this had huge whiplash in the region. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think they've got a lot of aspirations within the region, but again, they need to read the room a little bit more to make sure that they're not tone deaf of what's going on. Yeah, and so there's this balance between how do you try to do meaningful marketing that improves the world, but also how do you not talk over the heads of your audience or be offensive to your audience? How do you do it in a way that's in context to the reality of the situation? And Bolden said that the outcome of the unrest created an opportunity for Coca-Cola in Egypt to engage in what he referred to as Mm. cultural leadership. So Coke uses this notion of building a future together by making an effort to portray itself as improving Egypt as a whole. And it was that idea of building a future together that led to Coke Studio, which according to the website yourmiddleeast.com, gained momentum from the revolution. Crazy for Good was launched amidst the post-January 2011 political instability that you just talked about. And according to Garda Adil Mahmed, public affairs and communications manager for Coca-Cola Egypt, given that there were a decrease in public morale attributed to the instability in Egypt after the revolution, Crazy for Good had two things or two goals, basically. Inspire the masses and increase Coca-Cola sales and brand awareness. Crazy for Good was successful in accomplishing both of these. Anyway, so interesting stuff, right? So what is your take on all this? I don't want to say what do you think we can learn from it because there's just so much to unpack here. Just what is your opinion of this and marketing Coca-Cola in this region? It's a touchy subject. Yeah, it is a touchy subject. And anytime I think that you're delving into or inserting yourself into positions where There's a high degree of emotional volatility and there's a very high need for empathy in general. And I think we can kind of like all relate to that in 2020 in some degree. I mean, certainly I think what we've gone through this year for some people has been worse than others for sure. But I think just that idea of how do we make things better without being flippant is so important. There were times that we saw in what we've talked about today that there was a little bit of a flippant attitude of like, hey, it's okay, let's just have some fun, let's party, it's Coca-Cola and everything's going to be great. When clearly that's just disconnected from any sort of basis in reality. And so I think, number one, you don't want to really like pigeonhole yourself into trying to be something that you're not for people or trying to push people into a particular way of thinking as much as being who you are and allowing people who identify with that to join in. People approaching you versus you shoving something down their throat. Yes, exactly. And so being inclusive with your marketing means thinking ahead. We talk about this all the time, how important it is to involve the right people in the process. But also just to be, I think, humble about who you are and what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish 
so that you can think about things the right way and not overthink what we're trying to accomplish in marketing, which we do all the time. But I think there's a reason for that because very often a marketer can charge clients more because it's such a complicated strategy and it's got so many different tactics and channels and right. keeping it simple is not always the revenue driver. And I think that's very often the cause of why that is. I'm not saying they shouldn't market in the region and we can say, you know, they need to make the best of a bad situation, but it's not only just making the best of the bad situation, it's more proactive approach in how you can mutually create a beneficial environment that everybody involved, at least to some degree, benefit from it. And I think that should be the approach and the strategy within marketing in this region. And after all, try your best to be authentic. I feel we say that constantly, and this is even more true in this circumstance. Try not to be something different. You know, try not to be the brand that inserts yourself in the region and inserts yourself into Egypt, because that's not being authentic. You need to be realistic of who you are, and you need to, to your point from earlier, create an environment where people come to you versus you inserting yourselves into their daily life, because I think just just goes against the face of being authentic. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Speak to you guys next week. Bye. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Kutsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.